Welcome to the sermons of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Fort Capel, Saskatchewan. We pray that this may be a blessing to you, and God's Word would dwell richly within your heart. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Please be seated. The prophet Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. God had called him to call his people to repentance from their idolatry and wicked ways. Yet the people did not listen to him, but instead mocked him, reviled him, and persecuted him. Jeremiah wept over the extent of Judah's sin and their refusal to repent. He wept over the abuse of the holy things of God, thinking to use him as a talisman. He wept knowing the coming fate of the people who would not repent. In the end, the Babylonians would come and destroy both Jerusalem and the temple and take of those who survived many of the people into exile. Our gospel lesson this morning takes place on Palm Sunday, the crowds had been following Jesus from Bethany and had been shouting his praises, saying, Hosanna, save us, and blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The Pharisees had rebuked Jesus, telling him to tell his disciples to stop this. But Jesus replied, I tell you that if these should keep silence, the stones would immediately cry out. As he continued his journey, when he drew near Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it. He saw Jerusalem, the shining city, Zion, the city of God, the place where God had promised to make his name dwell and to hear the prayers of his people and to act in mercy towards them. It was the spiritual capital of the people of God and represented all of the people. Yet the sight of it did not bring joy to him as it did to the others that were on their way to Jerusalem for the Passover. Instead, Jesus began to weep over the city, saying, If you had known, even you especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, the Lord is moved to compassion and tears over the sight of Jerusalem. He weeps for he loved her and her people. He desired their salvation, their peace, their good, but he knows that this will not be. He knows how they will continually reject him, just as they rejected the prophets that he sent time and time again. He loved them deeply, and so he is moved to tears. This, along with the death of Lazarus, are the only two times in the scriptures in the Gospels, that Jesus is said to weep. He weeps because he knows what is coming. He weeps because they will not turn from their unbelief. If they would but repent, he would relent of the disaster, because he primarily shows his power in showing mercy and pity. So he laments because they will not repent, because they will not believe. This the last time before this that he had seen Jerusalem, he had said, 
O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. And he says here, if you had known, even you, especially this your day, the things that make for your peace. He was on his way to the city, not only for the Passover, but for the fulfillment of the Passover, for his own passion, for his death and resurrection. He knew that he was on his way to die in order to make peace, to make peace between God and man as the true mediator, because he himself was both perfect God and perfect man. His death would be that which makes peace. For he would go to pay the dreadful cost of the sins of the world, bearing them in his body. His death would be for all, even for those who rejected him and persecuted him. Even for them he sheds his blood, so that any who turn to him in repentance and faith might be saved. And there would be those who come to faith. There would be those who repent of their sin and unbelief and trust in him. But these would not be the majority of the people. Just as in the days of all the prophets, there was always a remnant that believed and was saved. So too there would be a remnant among Judah in Jesus' day. But on the whole, the people would not believe. If you had known even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you and shall close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave within you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jerusalem who killed and stoned the prophets and those who were sent to her would do the same with her Lord because she did not know the time of her visitation. In Jesus, God was in the midst of his people, calling them to himself. He was the Messiah, the prophet like Moses, the promised son of David. He was the servant of the Lord and the Lord. This was the time of God's visitation to his people, but they did not know it. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him, St. John writes. And St. Simeon prophesied of the baby Jesus that he was both the glory of God's people, Israel, and destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Yes, he was their glory and fulfillment. They had been chosen and set apart as a nation so that Jesus might be born, so that through them God might come into the world to redeem the world. Yet despite the signs and the teachings, they did not know the time of their visitation. And so while those who did repent and believed would be raised up to heaven, those who did not would fall to destruction. Thus they crucified the Lord of glory, as St. Peter says in his Pentecost sermon. They did not know the time of their visitation, and they rejected him in their ignorance. They rejected him and put him to death outside the city, even as he gave his life so that they might live. The leaders who should have known, who should have been waiting and watching and welcoming him with praises, were envious of him, and they led the people astray. 
But the Lord was merciful and kind, and his steadfast love endures forever. He did not immediately destroy Jerusalem when they rejected him, just as he did not call down fire and brimstone on the village of the Samaritans that rejected him when James and John urged him to do so. But after his resurrection and his ascension, he sent his apostles to Jerusalem, asking them at first to stay in the city so that they might preach the good news, so they might reveal to them what has been hidden and make known the glorious truth, so that through their preaching and teaching the people would no longer be ignorant, but know Jesus for who he is. So they preached daily in the temple, and they made this known far and wide, and many came to faith, but still more rejected him. Only now those that were rejecting him were not rejecting him in ignorance, but were rejecting him with the knowledge of who he was. They did not know the time of their visitation. But the people and the leaders did not only reject the Lord Jesus Christ, they also abused and perverted the temple, just as their fathers did. When the Lord continues into the city, he goes straight to the temple. He went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, It is written, My house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And he was teaching daily in the temple, and the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him. But they were unable to do anything, for all the people were attentive to hear him. In the days of the prophet Jeremiah, the Lord said to his people, Will you steal? murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal and walk after other gods whom you did not know, and then come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations. Has this house which is called by my name become a den of thieves in your eyes? The people thought they could get away with whatever they wanted and do whatever they wanted and pleased so long as they also gave their tithes and their sacrifices. They were the equivalent of those who in Paul's day said, let us sin that grace may abound. They treated the temple like a den of thieves, a den of robbers, that is a hideout, a place where they could escape and be safe from their consequences. Christ our Lord applies the same to the temple in his day. They were not using it properly. It was to be a house of prayer, but they were abusing it. They treated it in similar ways to those of old, to cover for their sin as a charm that would protect them. They were not using it for its true purpose. The temple was to be a house of prayer, a place for all people to call on the name of the Lord, for he caused his name to dwell there, to be their help and their salvation. The sacrifices were instituted to remind them of their reliance upon God and to point forward to the atonement that would come through Jesus Christ. Yet they were not teaching this. Instead, they taught that the sacrifices were a way to justify oneself, and it became a place of self-righteousness instead of a place of humble prayer. It was polluted. And so the Lord himself would come to cleanse it and return it to its proper place that he might teach there. The prophet Malachi wrote of this, 
the Lord whom you seek, will suddenly come into his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like the refiner's fire and the launderer's soap. The Lord came to his temple to cleanse it, to restore it to its true purpose just days before its purpose was coming to an end, for it would no longer be needed after his death. Thus he suddenly came into his temple, but even then they did not receive him, but instead the leaders sought to destroy him. Yet another sign that they did not know the time of their visitation. And so it would come to pass, as the Lord had said in his lament and rebuke of their unbelief, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. At God's direction and according to his just judgment, the Romans fulfilled this prophecy just as the Babylonians did in Jeremiah's day. The city was destroyed. Millions were slain, men, women, and children. The temple was torn down to the very foundation, never to be built again. So great was the judgment of God on even his people who rejected the Lord, who slayed his prophets and who abused his holy things, and so did not know the time of their visitation. The Lord called upon them to repent with tears and great cries. He had sent his apostles to call them to faith, yet they remained in their sin and unbelief, and so received in themselves the judgment for their sins. The Lord wept for them, knowing that they would not come to repentance, because he, they would not believe. And so he knew the judgment that would come despite his great compassion towards them and his desire that they be saved. Yet even in the midst of the horror of the Roman siege of 70 AD, those who believed were spared. There was a remnant still in Jerusalem. Many believers had already fled Jerusalem due to persecution and brought the gospel with them, as we read of in the Acts. But there were also those who remained in Jerusalem. However, when the Romans began to gather, when the signs that the Lord spoke of began to come to pass, the believers fled to the city of Pella before the Romans set the siege. And so all who believed in Christ Jesus were saved, both from eternal and temporal judgment, as Eusebius records for us. The Lord had visited his people in the Incarnation. But when he ascended, he did not leave us, for he says, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so he is. His visitation continues as he is always with us, even as he promised. First, he is with us and continues his visitation through his word. He, For his word, through his spirit, he teaches us about himself, and our grave predicament that our sin has brought about. He teaches us about his great compassion and mercy and long-suffering and steadfast love. He teaches us the knowledge of the saving truth and works in us true and justifying faith. 
So too, through his word read and preached and meditated upon, he corrects us and calls us to repentance. He speaks to us through the prophets, through Jeremiah and all the rest, and through his words and the words of his apostles. We are not better than our fathers. We sin, we are weak and fall, and we may even attempt to justify ourselves and our deeds in his sight. So he calls us to repentance. But through his word, he also comforts us with his mercy and grace, assuring us of the forgiveness of sins when we repent and trust in him, comforting us through all that he has done for us while we were yet still his enemies, comforting us by all he has done to make peace with God. So also he visits us in the sacrament where he is present with his body and blood, just as he said he will be with us always. In this most holy meal, our Lord Jesus is present in order to forgive our sins, strengthen our faith, and to give us the seal of his salvation and the promise of eternal life. Here he is present with his grace and mercy, making known his almighty power in showing mercy to all who come to him in penitent faith, forsaking their sins and themselves, and trusting in him and his words, given and shed for you. So let us not be ignorant, brothers and sisters, of his visitation. Let us not be like those who did not know the time of their visitation. For the Lord continues his visitation among us. Yes, he is present even here in his word, and upon the altar in bread and wine. He, the King of glory, the King of the universe, the Almighty and everlasting God, is present. Let us adore him in awe and reverence. The King of kings is here. Let us act accordingly and reflect what we believe firmly in our hearts. If he is present in the word and teaching, let us then eagerly hear his word. Let us ensure we attend his word to hear, for God is speaking. Earthly concerns have no place here where God is. Our work will still get done, even if we miss some of it to come and attend to his word. There is more than enough time. God desires that we hear him, and so let us do so reverently and purposefully. Let us hear him so that he may build us up in this saving faith which trusts earnestly in him. And so, too, our Lord Jesus is present, as we said, in the sacrament. We know well it is no ordinary meal, but that it is the Lord Jesus making himself present in his holy body and most precious blood, given and shed for us for the forgiveness of sins, for the making of our peace. Let us then always recognize this and recognize his presence. For those who receive him without trusting in his words, or those who receive him without repentance, will find the Lord's chastisement for not knowing the time of his visitation, for not discerning the body. So let us not fall into using the sacrament as a charm in the way that our fathers used the temple, a way to cover for our sins and misdeeds. Instead, let us come to him in humility, in repentant faith, recognizing that he is here in mercy and grace with the peace which he has won by his death. And so let us pray that he keeps us always in his mercy, that we may obtain his glorious and gracious promises for the sake of Christ. 
He has promised us such great and wonderful things in the gospel. So let us not abuse what he has given us. Let us not treat his word with disdain or as if it is some small thing. He has entrusted his word to us. So let us treasure it, meditate upon it, and keep it close to heart, lest he take it from us for abuse and misuse of it. Let us pray that through his grace we may remain steadfast in the true faith, looking to him in penitent faith, acknowledging our sin and weakness, and trusting in his grace and mercy for the sake of Jesus Christ, who died that we may have peace with God, and who rose that we might have the promise of life everlasting and the resurrection from the dead. He alone can keep us. He alone is our helper, our defender, and our savior. So let us all the more eagerly run to him who is our help and our salvation. For he is merciful and gracious and keeps his promises, so that by his grace we may obtain that which he promised through the merits and mediations of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining us. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless and preserve you always. Amen. Amen.